Welcome to Liminal Theology, a theological podcast exploring boundaries, transitions, and being in between. I'm your host, Jonathan Best, and join me as we journey into liminal space. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce the Reverend Kate Hanch. Kate is a PhD candidate in theology and ethics at Garrett Evangelical Seminary. She holds a BA from Missouri Baptist University and an MDiv from Central Baptist Theological Seminary. Currently, Kate is the Associate Pastor of Youth and Families at First St. Charles United Methodist Church in St. Charles, Missouri. She is influenced by feminist theory and theology, womanist theology, Christian mysticism, and systematic theology. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm, it's a pleasure to have you. It's, it's, a, it's a joy to, to have you on this program. I know you do uh, so much in, in the Baptist world and in the theological world, and I know you have a pretty tight schedule, so it it's really is a joy and a privilege to have you here. Thank you. Well, I consider it helpful for me to um, work out my own thoughts, so thank you for this opportunity. To begin, um, you know, I always like to ask uh, guests to describe their own work, and and if you could, you know, how would you describe your own your own theological work in your areas of focus, um, and particularly your work in perhaps feminist, uh, womanist theology, the Baptist world, and and how did your theological and ministerial journey um, bring you to these areas? So, in a, in a sense, could you help, you know just describe your your theological story, your theological journey? Yeah. Um, Well, I was called to ministry at age 16 and didn't want to do anything else after that. Um, I recall at my freshman year in school presenting a paper defending women as ministers, which was not um, a universal reality at, at that institution. So that was kind of my introduction. Um, And so I always knew I wanted to go to seminary. um, And so I did. (laughs) Um, I didn't meet a a woman PhD in theology until I went to seminary, Molly Marshall. So I um, didn't really have those models in college. I did have women um, pastors, uh, my youth pastor was a woman, but I didn't have those um, academic models until I went to seminary. And in theology class, my professor, or I had somebody was like, you ask really good questions. And then my professor had asked me to do some work for her. And then I kind of realized uh, maybe that's God's way of telling me to go to, um, to pursue graduate work. So I graduated seminary in Kansas City. Um, I served a church, uh, Holmeswood Baptist Church in Kansas City, where I had some great uh, mentors. And um, and then I served for a year, and then I started the Ph.D. work at Garrett Evangelical. Um, And I found Garrett through one of those mentors in Kansas City. Uh, He had did his doctorate in ministry there. And so I, I couldn't ask um, for a better matchup in terms of uh, learning curves. I had a lot to learn. I, I had never been part of a university or institution with a PhD program. So uh, um, 
it was really, I, I just wasn't used to the discourse or the, um, or kind of the setting. And so to be at Garrett, which is on the campus of Northwestern, was a wonderful experience. Um, and, and my advisor had grown up Baptist, so uh, Nancy Bedford. And so we had some similar, um, well, not really similar, but we knew some of the same people and came from a similar um, faith background, I should say. Uh, she's from Argentina, so I can't say we were really that similar. Uh, but I, I learned a lot, and I had come in with the question of humility and thinking of humility as a Trinitarian thing um, and thinking about it in terms of postmodern realities. Mm-hmm. And as I read and I listened to professors, I realized I couldn't think of humility without thinking of, humil- of humiliation of particularly women of color. And yet there is still this sense of wanting to maintain a notion of humility, even when women have been humiliated Mm. Um, and maybe with different words or different um, genres or perspectives. So I looked at Sojourner Truth first as like the exemplar of humility because she is, uh, her words are not, just for others, but they're for herself. And in advocating for herself, she makes room for others. Um, And so it kind of went from there where um, um, my advisor had recommended I read Julian of Norwich. Um, And if you're from England, it's Norwich, not not with the W, um, (laughs) as I was corrected. Um, But... So I read her, and um, there is this humility trope in women mystical, and some men, mystical theologians of the medieval era. And so, but yet there's also, um, and by trope, I mean, they'll say, like, I am a worm, I'm awful, but God uses me. But at the same sense, they're like, and there's also this sense of, I am writing because God compelled me and it's a good word for me and it's a good word for others. Mm-hmm. So the dissertation I'm working on, it compares, um, or it doesn't compare, but it brings into conversation a medieval woman and a 19th century black women preacher that both show different aspects of different humility, of humility from different times and different places. And I'm hoping into bringing them together um, to treat these women, both the medievals and the 19th century black women preachers, as theologians. Mm -hmm. So often they've been used as like examples, which is wonderful, but we haven't always looked at them as theologians. Now, womanists have been better at that. And of course, with folks like Julian, Julian, who's kind of experienced a resurgence in popularity, you'll have you'll have some medievalists looking at her as theologians. But um, with Sylvia Elah and Sojourner Truth, uh, you have some womanists looking at her them as theologians. But um, also, my my goal in this dissertation is just um, making them known to the wider world. Now, again, womanists have already been doing that and have done a wonderful job about that. Um, But, and also 
I'm, um, as a white woman, I'm trying to make them known as theologians and um, they can convict us as white people. Um, they can challenge us. Uh, they also have good words to say to us and they have um, some things that should they say that really should make us think about who we understand God is and how God loves our world. Excellent. So that's where I'm at now. I, I, I'm really intrigued by this, this conversation that you've created between African-American female voices and the medieval mystic female voices any any time you're working with such a distance, especially with the medieval voices, you know, I, I imagine there can be some difficulty in in correlating any of that. Sometimes, perhaps um, theologically, especially you know, giving the mystic nature of it, you know, how have you found this kind of dialogue to be back and forth? Well, um, the womanist theologian Joy Bostic really opened my eyes to this. She writes a book based on her dissertation about mis night, um, mystical theology in 19th century African-American women preachers. Mm -hmm. um, and Bostic does um, use some categories of medieval mysticism, uh, also pointing out the whiteness that's inherent in, in that discourse. Mm -hmm. And then all um, simultaneously, describing these women as mystics and looking deeply into their autobiographies and um, seeing, you know, tracing out the theology that emerges from their autobiographies, mm -hmm. uh, autobiographies. So I'm really inspired by Bostick's work in that because I really, I haven't seen any other work that does um, anything similar. You'll see some notions of mysticism in, um, in African-American 19th century female preachers, but not an engaged discourse. Mm -hmm. um, so the parallels that I find that they're both mystics, or they're all mystics, I should say. And I'm using Bernard McGinn, who is like the premier theologian on mystical theology. I'm using his definition of mysticism, which is something to the effect of a preparation for an expectation of the immediate presence of God. And then um, expanding that to say that we should all be mystics. Mm. Um, so that is kind of where I'm seeing this parallel. But I also um, do a thing with um, like the foolishness of, so, so the thesis is prophetic humility as a habitus is that the foolishness of God is that the word becomes bodied and I use bodied rather than embodied specifically, uh, in order that bodies may become God, hmm. um, theosis or deification. So you can kind of see I'm, I'm riffing on Irenaeus's, um, I, he says that as well as Athanasius. Hmm. But um, so it's a Trinitarian thing. So the foolishness of God, I look at how um, Marjorie Kemp and Zilpha Elah both use kind of their weaknesses as strengths. Mm -hmm. So Marjorie Kemp cries a lot. It's kind of annoying. It's funny. Um, but also you see in these tears, she's expressing theological thoughts. Like she is crying over 
a donkey being whipped because she is reminded of Jesus' sufferings. Mm. And what if we did that? Like, what if we were so um, moved by the suffering of the world that we saw Jesus suffer when people suffer? Right. Um, the Zelfa Elah travels to slave states to preach the gospel, which is really foolish back in the day. Um, and she experiences this concrete fear. Um, and she's preaching to enslave enslavers and she is telling, she is quoting, um, scripture and she's like, I told them all they ever knew in their hearts. And so there's this sense of like, she is shaming these enslavers in that moment. And she's talking about how they have the white preachers from the learned seminaries and they were not as capable of preaching the gospel as she was. So that's um, so each chapter kind of, and it's three chapter or three chapters that focus on the women, but they look at a common theme, and then they, um, and then I discern how each one practices it in their setting, and then kind of draw some conclusions based on that. Or I know you mentioned some some professors that kind of introduced you to the mystic world is this something you've always been drawn to or do you would you consider yourself uh, a mystic or a contemplative i don't know i'm actually pretty awful at comp- contemplation and so you know how sometimes you study things that you're um you have growing edges in <laughs> so <laughs> or at least i mean i try to and so um i don't think i mean i don't think I am. I really like um, Jacques Derrida's saying, he says something to the effect is like, if I pray, I pray all the time. Um, And so that's my, my understanding of the Holy Spirit is within the world. And we just need to be awake and aware to that. And so I'm trying, trying is keyword here. Although this you know, this chapter might be the death of me, but I'm trying to see, um, see study as an act of worship and see this um, and to try to approach this as a way to like worship God, but then also help others. So that's kind of um, where I'm at spiritually. (laughs) Now you mentioned earlier in your dissertation title, you know, the area of habitus and what areas or or how are you using that? Um, Are are you doing something along the lines of, Pierre Bourdieu or, or something different? Yeah, I am kind of riffing on Pierre Bordeaux, but I found him um, to be more, I don't want to say, he's really hard to read. <laughs> so I, have one, I have his book that I've been slogging through, but I've also been um, looking at Terry Ray's interpretation. Again, this comes from um, Joy Bostic. So I'm, I'm borrowing kind of her notion of habitus or or this way of being in the world that is both socialized, but then it's also like consciously constructed Mm -hmm. um, so that these women develop this prophetic, humble habitus um, that may use um, tactics of hegemonic common sense, but also subverts tactics of, you know, subverts, um, hegemonic common sense. So their way of being is such that it is also like this humble habitus is also a resistant habitus against the evil of the world or, mm-hmm. you know, 
the the powers that would deny their humanity. Mm-hmm. Now I know you do a lot of work in the in the Baptist world, speaking frequently at conferences and and, and publications. Um, how has this work um, kind of informed your idea of being Baptist and, and being a, a Baptist woman? That's a good question. Um, and the Baptists have just been the ones to accept my papers, <laughs> so <laughs> which thanks be to God, right? Um, so I've worked on this, and I, I've set it aside for a while, but I'm I'll pick it up after the dissertation. But I'm currently um, I, I will be working on a chapter for publication um, in a book called like Baptists and Sacramentality. Okay. So I'm bringing um, a Baptist woman named Ann Dutton from the 1700s, who's Calvinist Baptist. And I learned from a dissertation um, of a student at Baylor, and I, his name escapes me right now. Um, but he had made this, and it was in a footnote, that like Dutton said, all shall be well. And of course, since Julian's popular saying, hmm. all shall be well, and so I picked up on that footnote of his and um, kind of put them in conversation um, and looking at how they use metaphors for God to construct theology. And um, they, use, they both use natural metaphors and whatnot, but um, how their metaphors reveal their theology. And so I'm trying to um, some, you know, some Baptists know who Ann Dutton is. She's pretty obscure. It's interesting because she writes both to George Whitfield and John Wesley. Like she has a wide circle of acquaintances, but she never leaves England. Um, and so that's kind of where my Baptist work is. Um, but more broadly, um, when I think of being Baptist, and it's hard to like, I mean, you're Baptist, you know, like there's, um, I always joke that there's more Baptists than Baptist churches (laughs) because like, I mean, every time I would say, I remember in my Baptist polity class, every time I would make a declarative statement about who Baptists were, my professor who wrote this huge book on it was like, well, in this case, they're not. So, um, I will just say in my Baptist community, um, where we value the reading of scripture and the interpreting scripture for ourselves, um, I find a lot of resident, res, um, resonance with mysticism in particular. So I think Baptists should, should be mystics um, and can be mystics. And it lends themselves, you know, those two ideas really lend themselves um, together. Um, and then the whole kind of resistant thing that I'm trying to tease out in these wom- women um, at least early Baptists in England. Um, and we've seen some Baptists like Martin Luther King and whatnot have been resistant. Um, I, you know, so there is some impulses that are similar. Join me next week for the conclusion of my conversation with Kate Hatch.